Thank you for downloading this sermon from Grace Presbyterian Church. Grace is a church where people seeking more grace, more depth, and more community can start finding their way and sharing their gifts with the world. You can follow us online at graceforsufalls.org. This morning we have the uh, unenviable task of saying goodbye to Peter for now. We've spent the whole year in uh, Peter's epistles. We started actually the first Sunday of the year in 1 Peter chapter 1. And now we have come to the end. In verses 17 and 18 of chapter 3 of 2 Peter, we will reach the end of Peter's writings that are preserved for us in Scripture. As Peter says goodbye, he also summarizes what I would argue is uh, the point of his writing. He encapsulates the, the desire that he has for us that led him in the first place to pick up his pen and write. So hear the word of the Lord. This is Second Peter 3, verses 17 and 18, where Peter writes these words, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So if I were going to summarize Peter's words that we just read, put them into my own words so that we could remember them more easily, I would say Peter's words to us are this. Don't get carried away. Instead, grow in more grace and more depth. And the mark of growth is giving glory to God. And those will be the points that I try to make. We'll talk about those three things. First, don't get carried away. Secondly, instead, grow in more grace and more depth. And then lastly, the mark of growth is giving glory to God. Giving glory to God. I know something about being carried away because I have been carried away before, uh, quite literally. Lori and I were in England years ago. We were near Shrewsbury, which uh, for those of you who know your crime fiction, this is the the home turf of Brother Cadfile, Ellis Peters' crime-solving monk. And so I was an admirer of the books and uh, of the the television adaptation. And so I was excited to get into Brother Cadfile's territory and have some adventures. And it turns out we went to the river, the Severn River, and there were boats there, rowboats, that you could rent and you could go rowing on the river, which I decided we should do. So a whole group of us descended on the river. We got into rowboats. I got into the boat, and it, it, it sank precariously <laughs> to the bottom, where the water was almost lapping to the sides. That didn't deter me, because I knew who the oarsmen on our boat should be. They should be me. Now, I'd never actually pulled an oar before, <laughs> but I knew it wasn't difficult And I knew I'd be very good at it. I'd seen it done on a lot of television shows. It's obviously not that difficult. You just kind of sit there and you pull at the same time and you go. And that was the experience that I was looking forward to. So we got onto the river. I grabbed those oars and I started rowing. I went right into the center of the river, uh, right into the heart of it. And uh, turns out I was right. I was really good at rowing. I pulled the oars and we flew down the river like at a, at a brisk pace. In fact, my pulling of the oar, sometimes I had such power, power I didn't realize, that I could pull the oar and I could stop for a while, and we were still going. 
It's almost like we were picking up speed even if I wasn't rowing. And, and uh, I have to say it was satisfying because sometimes you feel like you'd be good at things and then you try them and you're not as good as you thought, but that wasn't the case. I actually turned out to be kind of an amazing oarsman. <laughs> One of the guys who was on our boat, who was a local, uh, pointed out that the current is pretty strong in the river and suggested that we should turn around because the boats were meant to stay in a certain area and on either side of that area were these bridges. Now, you could go all the way to the bridge before turning back on either side, but you couldn't go beyond the bridge or the guy who rented the boats would get a little nervous. But that was plenty of room in which to row. There were lots of boats out on the river between those boundaries, but we were coming precariously close to the bridge that we must not pass underneath. And so our friend said, it's time to turn around and go the other way. So uh, I managed to get the boat kind of going in the other direction, and I started pulling the oars using the same excellent technique that I'd used earlier, but the results were different. Instead of going back in the direction we came, even though I was pulling the oars the same way, we actually changed direction. We started going backwards. So I was pulling the oar to go this way, but we were still going that way, and just as quickly as we had been before. And I started to suspect that the current had more to do with my, my uh, boatsmanship than my rowing did. But all that had happened is we'd been caught in the current, and we'd gone pretty far. And when it was up to me to get us back, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. it, it in, in, in my defense, it's a lot harder than it looks. <laughs> like, you really have to be holding these things at the right angle. But uh, eventually, and, and this, is, this is hard to admit even now, but uh, I had to hand the oars over to the Englishman in the boat so that he could get us back. And, and as an American, that was tough. It was hard to do. But I did it, and he got us back safely. And it turns out, if you know what you're doing, it's not that hard. I just didn't know <laughs> what I was doing. Um, I got carried away in more ways than one, honestly. But the one that mattered was the physical one. We were carried away. Our little boat was swept out by the current almost beyond the point of no return. And Peter says, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Take care that you're not carried away in just the same way. He's speaking to those of us who have believed, who have professed our faith in Christ, who have stood on the solid rock of salvation by grace. He's saying, don't be carried away by the error of lawless people. Don't let yourself be pulled away from that place where you stood. He's speaking about a danger that we all face. It's the danger of drifting. Just as I drifted on the water aimlessly, we sometimes drift away from Christ. If only it worked like this. If only when you joined the church, when you came to faith, you came forward and you took those membership vows, and it turns out it was just like the wedding ceremony at the end of a Jane Austen novel, that once you've taken the vows, you live happily ever after. That's the end of your story. But unfortunately, marriage doesn't work that way, and neither does faith. We take those vows, we acknowledge that covenant commitment that we've made, but those vows are constantly tested, constantly pushed against. It's not all happily ever after 
once we've made that commitment. In some ways, it's just the opposite. There's a lot of pressure to drift away. Unfortunately, a strong current runs through the center of our hearts. And if we let it, it will carry us away. We get tired of fighting it. We get tired of of, of pulling the oars and give up. It will take us to the place we don't want to be. The current will cause us to drift away from Christ. To drift away from Christ. I remember the time when I made contact with an old friend of mine after more than 10 years. And um, we saw each other for the first time since really college, since maybe a little after, around the time we were married. And um, it used to be back in the old days that, that this guy, he was like a brother to me. In fact, we were closer than brothers. We spent all of our time together. We saw things the same way. We would have sacrificed anything for each other. Then we graduated, and we kind of stayed in touch for a little while. Uh, We both got married, and eventually we didn't have any contact anymore. And after about 10 years, we got back in touch, happened to be going through his part of the world, and so we met with him, and the first thing I did was apologize. I said, I am so sorry. Like, I, I, I never intended not to reach out. I never intended not to call you. Um, I just, I don't know what happened. And my friend said, you know what, don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. It doesn't matter. We are just as close now as we ever were. And I felt relief. Like he'd let me off the hook. I didn't need to feel bad about my negligence as a friend. But when we spent a little time together, I found out that as good as his words sounded, they weren't true that over time, out of touch, we had drifted away. We were not the brothers that we had been. There was a distance between us that that hurt to realize, because if you had asked me back in the day, it never would have happened. I thought we were close and would never be drawn apart, and we were. And, And it wasn't even as if like people tried to keep us apart. We did it to ourselves. We just drifted away. And that same thing happens to us. Peter says, you have been forewarned of this danger. He says, knowing this beforehand. Remember, we've been looking at at not just the promises, but also the warnings of the gospel. And this is the reason for the warnings. You know this beforehand. You've been warned that this will happen, that you have this tendency to drift. And you've been warned so that you can be ready so that you won't be taken by surprise when you feel the pull of that current in your life. Faithfulness to Christ is going to be hard, so we need to be ready for it. Now, the current that Peter is talking about, the force that carries us away, he describes as the error of lawless people. It's interesting that it's lawlessness that he's worried about. Now, this is an apostle who, like all the other apostles, believes in salvation by grace apart from works of the law. So there's a sense in which, surely, people might have looked at Peter and other early Christian teachers and said, but you are lawless people. Like You're the ones who are telling us that we cannot be saved by the law, which is true. But when they talk about the impossibility of salvation through the law, 
They also talk about the impossibility of salvation apart from the law. It's an interesting thing. You're not saved by your obedience, but you won't be saved without it. It's just that the obedience is a work of the Spirit within us. Within us. So the temptation is the error of lawless people. It's not that these people have no law at all. They make no rules for themselves. It's that the law that they respect is not God's law. They live by a different standard than the one that God has laid down. So that the temptation for us is to do the same. To lose our respect for the law of God, for the ways of God. Instead, to live by a different standard. God defines reality one way. The world defines it another. It's easy to get along if you compromise, if you meet somewhere in the middle. There's a lot of pressure to do that. There's a lot of pressure to see things the way everyone else does. That pressure is the current. That pressure is the current to live a lawless life and think there will be no consequences. The danger is that in succumbing to this error of lawless people, you will lose your own stability. You'll lose your own stability, Peter says, which suggests that stability is important to Peter. Lawlessness looks like freedom, but is actually captivity in disguise. And it offers freedom, but once we depart from the, the righteous way of God, what we find ourselves in is a return to bondage. A return to bondage that isn't uh, stability, it's the opposite. I know that of all the things we value, stability is probably not in the top ten. We like change. We like being dynamic, being current, not being like people of the past. We uh, value and adore and worship youth. But Peter sees things differently. And Peter says what you ought to aspire to is not change. It is stability. And in Christ, there is stability. And when you're carried away from Christ, you lose the stability that you need as a human being. What Peter calls instability we would label change, progress, or even growth. And it's not unusual for us to tell ourselves that when we're drifting away from Christ and losing the stability that we once had, what's actually happening is growth. That we're on some kind of a journey or quest and we're coming into a deeper understanding as we drift away from the faith once delivered to the saints. But we deceive ourselves, just like I did on the river, As I was moving and I thought I was on a journey, I thought that my strength was moving me forward and the reality was I was just being carried away. Despite my efforts, I had no control over that process. I tried to make a virtue out of necessity, but unfortunately there's no virtue to be made out of drifting away from Christ. Instead, we should seek stability. We should seek to be planted, to be rooted at the foot of the cross and to fight back against anything that threatens to rob us of that. To sum up what Peter is saying in verse 17, 
It seems to me that stability in Christ is our goal. It's the trajectory of our life. It's what we should aspire to, to be stably rooted at the foot of the cross. And if you've lost that, if you've drifted away from it, then the answer is to return to it. Don't confuse instability with growth. Don't tell yourself that you're making progress when all that's happening is that you're drifting, drifting away. So don't get carried away. Instead, grow in more grace and more depth. Grow in more grace and more depth. Psalm 1 is probably the most familiar of the Psalms. Uh, It is a depiction of a righteous man. And it includes a powerful metaphor where that righteous man is compared to a tree planted by a river. This is Psalm 1 chapter, I'm sorry, verse 3. It says, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. If you think about the metaphor, why the tree? Why choose a tree to compare this righteous person to? Well, a tree is stable. A tree is rooted. A tree sinks its roots down deep into the earth. It draws its strength from those depths. And through that, it grows. And that's how we ought to be. That's how we ought to understand ourselves. Only stability leads to growth. Only stability leads to growth. If we're not deeply rooted at the foot of the cross, we will not grow in grace and knowledge. Instead, we will constantly drift, blown this way and that way by shifts in thought and doctrine. Without stability, we cannot grow. Lori and I learned this lesson the hard way when we were in Houston. We made the mistake of building a... uh, suburban house, indistinguishable from all the houses in the neighborhood. Uh, But we built it, and at the end of the process, I decided I was going to be different from everybody else on the block by planting different trees. Everybody else had pine trees, and I decided I wanted maple trees. Uh, Maple trees have leaves like a tree should. Pine uh, pine trees have needles, which to me is is not very tree-like. It's not very welcoming. And I realize I'm saying that on the eve of Christmas, but I don't care. I don't like, I don't like pine trees. I don't like pine needles everywhere. I, I, it's not my kind of tree. So we went to the builder and we said, we're not going to have trees like everybody else. We're going to have maple trees. And he said, you shouldn't do that. Everybody else has pines. You should just have pines. Now, maybe it's just my generation, but I'm not into being like everybody else. And when you tell me I should have pines just because everybody else has, to me, that's a good argument for not having them. And so I I said, no way. Forget about it. We're not going to have pines. And then he said, well, you should because maples won't grow here. They won't grow in this ground. And and I knew that that was wrong. Just like I knew I could row without ever having done it, I knew instinctively that I was being told a lie. And so I doubled down. I insisted, we will have maple trees and they will be beautiful. And uh, so that's what we got. The landscapers came at the end of the process. They planted maple trees in the grounds. I I looked, I surveyed my land with satisfaction in contrast to to all of the homesteads around us. And uh, a few years passed. And as the pine trees grew taller and taller all around us, the maple trees, they basically stayed how they were. They didn't really grow. 
Sometimes, like, the leaves wouldn't even come out, and they started looking kind of brown and shriveled. Like, it was always winter, and in Houston, it's, it's never winter. So I knew there was a problem. But, but as I do, I, I just denied it. I denied it as long as I could until Lori finally said, these trees are dead, and we're, we're going to have to plant some glorious pines. <laughs> so we went out and did the job ourselves. We dug up those maples, and when we did that, we discovered something that would have made all the difference. When we pulled those dead trees out of the ground, their roots were still entangled with the wire cages that had been placed on them at the nursery. You're supposed to take these cages off so that the roots can go deep when they plant them. And you would think professional landscapers would know this, but apparently in this case, they did not. So these trees, because they could not root, they never had a chance. Uh, Probably I was right all along. They sabotaged my trees. Well, we left that town, not specifically for that reason, but uh, we left and uh, came to Sioux Falls where there are lots of lovely trees And then the tree that was so lovely in my backyard died and had to be taken away. And so Lori and I last year, earlier this year, planted a new tree. We did it ourselves. We've never planted a tree before. Never planted anything that survived. (laughs) So honestly, I think both of us thought, we're just doing this more as a gesture. The The tree was pretty inexpensive. We'll just plant it and see what happens. We planted it. We saw what happened. Uh, we, we, we did Google planting a tree, so we had a few instructions, but a lot of them seemed fussy, so we didn't follow them. And um, we didn't put the little ropes on the tree to keep it straight or do any of that. We just put it in the ground. We watered it a lot, and, and we left for the summer. And, uh, and it survived, and it thrived. At the beginning, it would sort of blow in the wind, but it, it, and I sometimes thought it was going to keel over, but it didn't. It stayed up. It's actually quite straight, which is surprising. And it, it has beautiful leaves, and it's alive. The professional landscapers, when they planted trees for us, those trees died. When we did it ourselves, in a really incompetent way, it worked. And the difference was roots. The one thing we knew planting that tree was we are totally not going to leave the roots wrapped up. We're going to unwrap them and let them take root. And that made all the difference. That made the difference between trees that lived and trees that died, whether or not they could be rooted, whether or not they could go deep and draw strength and grow. And the same is true for us. The same is true for us. If we're rooted in Christ, we will grow. We will grow. Even if uh, the people around us are incompetent. Even if uh, we, we don't have the best teachers and preachers around us, if we are rooted in Christ, we will grow. And if we're not, none of the rest can help us. None of the rest can help us. Peter says that we're meant to grow. We're meant to grow in grace. We're meant to grow in knowledge of Christ. Which is another way of saying something that we say around here all the time, that we're longing for more grace, we're longing for more depth of knowledge. Peter's speaking our language here. He's talking about our longings. In grace, at grace, we're always talking about more grace, more depth. You see it built into our services even. I don't know if you've noticed this before, but if you look at your order of worship at the very beginning, 
it says right here, we long for more grace. And that whole first part of the service where we confess our sin and are assured of pardon, that's us seeking more grace in our lives. And you'll reach a certain point before we get to the sermon where you find we long for more depth. And that's where we start going deep into Scripture, meditating on Scripture. And then when we're done with this, you'll see after the sermon, if you turn the page over, we long for more community. And we seek more community through our corporate confession of our faith by coming together to the table to be joined with Christ as a community. So these are longings that we speak to in our worship. We seek more grace in confessing our sin and receiving Christ's pardon. We seek more depth in meditating on his word and we seek more community in confessing our faith and coming to the table together. Staying rooted in Christ is what this is all about because staying rooted in Christ is how we find more. If you stay rooted in Christ, you will find more grace. It's true that the closer you are to Christ, the greater your sense of your own sin is. But the greater your sense of sin is when you're near Christ, the greater your sense of his grace. That changes everything. If you stay rooted in Christ, you will find more depth. As you immerse yourself in Scripture and the Spirit illuminates more and more of it to your eyes, the current in your heart that tugs you away will lose some of its pull. The closer you are to Christ, the less sway that current has over you. And a way to know whether or not you're growing, whether or not you're rooted at the foot of the cross is to see whether or not you are finding more grace and more depth. If you find yourself relying more and more on yourself, if you used to be able to to lay your sins and your cares at the foot of the cross and walk away, and now not so much, now if it's more and more about you and your fears and your anxieties, maybe you've drifted. Maybe there's a pull at those roots that makes it hard grow. When you grow away from Christ, you're not growing at all. You're falling. Don't be carried away. Instead, grow more grace and more depth. And the mark of growth is giving glory to God. Peter ends with these words, to him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. His theology leads inevitably to doxology. He can't talk about the salvation that that he's speaking of without bursting into praise because that is the direction of the theology. The theology should lead to praise, should lead to giving glory to God. If it doesn't, then you haven't understood what was being said. The theology of the apostles is not a set of abstractions. It's not a set of philosophical utterances. It is truly a gospel that leads to ecstatic praise of God for his goodness. This letter ends with the chief end of man, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. This is our purpose. This is our purpose to glorify him, both now and to the day of eternity. And the mark of growth, when you live a life giving glory to God, 
if you're spending all your time giving the glory to another. So it's hard sometimes. You need to carve out a little space where you can be the person at the center of attention. Ego makes it easy for us to be drawn away. But sometimes it's not ego, it's anxiety, worry, care. Sometimes we need to fret over our anxieties. We don't want to not worry about them. We don't want to lay them at the foot of the cross, to trust them to Christ. We want to take them back for ourselves and brood over them and let our hearts focus on them until they eat us up. Ego and anxiety, I think much more so than just the world, are the currents that we have to row against. If you let ego and anxiety have their way, you'll be pulled away from Christ and set drifting. We carried farther and farther from him as you focus more and more on yourself. But if you stay rooted, you will grow. And the power of your ego and your anxiety will be lessened if you stay rooted in Christ. When a tree is rooted, it points to the sky. If it's rooted, it points to the sky. If it's weak, when the wind blows, sometimes it sways and it points all over the place. And if that tree is upended, If it's pulled out of the ground, it points down to the ground. It points off to the side, not where it's meant to be. And that's a sign that it's dead. Where you point indicates whether or not you're alive. It's the same with us. If your life points to the earth, if it points to the world and everything in it, you've fallen away from Christ. Your roots have been pulled out of the ground, and you need to return to him. Draw near to him and cling to the foot of the cross. If you're swaying in the wind, your life is pointing away from him, then as Paul would say, you need to stand firm. You need to fight. You need to fight to stay at the foot of the cross. When your roots are sunk deep, when you're stable and determined not to be moved, then you will grow. And only then, You will find more grace and more depth when your life, like the tree that is planted, points upwards to Christ. Thank you for listening. You can find more sermons from Grace and information about joining us for worship by visiting our website at graceforsufalls.org. We also invite you to visit the iTunes store and subscribe to the Sermons of Grace podcast.